0: Blog Talk Radio hey.
1: 11 via Radio Saigon and simulcast across the country via Blog Talk Radio and later on B4360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. I'm your host, Mike Gardner, and join with me in a few minutes is my partner in crime, the notorious Ben Florin, as we wish you a happy Memorial Day weekend. It's May 23rd, a beautiful Friday here in Cleveland. So how is it in the district?
2: A beautiful day in Cleveland. Does that even exist? It is actually a fantastic day here in our nation's capital. Mid 70 degrees. It was very hot yesterday, but I am greatly enjoying this weather as we're about to embark
1: on a a little three-day weekend for many Americans. That's right. Do you want to uh, give a shout out to our men and women ser- serving for our nation and uh, representing the Stars and Stripes. As We have a good show for you on hand. We will talk some NBA playoffs as both Western and Eastern Conference have several days until their next game. I don't know why. We have some NHL we talk. Love it. We, we love it. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, we love the, the five-day gaps until, <laughs> until the Heat <laughs> play the Pacers again. We'll talk some NFL news, uh, some breaking news, and some U.S. soccer, but we will begin today. With our weekly conversation, he is Dermo Corrigan, uh, ESPN FC and FoxSoccer.com reporter, live and direct from Spain. He'll be covering the the uh, Champions League for those uh, international soccer fans. It's the European Club Championship, as he is our weekly conversation. A
3: pretty big buzz down in the uh, the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal for the Champions League final this weekend. Is this how many uh, Champions League finals have you covered?
4: Uh, Well, this this will be my first one really covering it because it's the first one in which uh, there's been two Spanish teams involved like this. The last couple of years they've spent a lot of time covering uh, Madrid and Barcelona and and there was a lot of hope that there would be a a Guardiola against Mourinho final. But but Guardiola got there once all right. but but Madrid they they fell back three times in the semi-final stage over the last three years. So with that and with all the talks about La Decima as well, it's been 12 years waiting to get to a final. So that's all added up to the, the expectation and the excitement around the Spanish capital as well.
3: Does it make it even more special considering that both teams are from Spain playing in Portugal?
4: Yeah, I think it does, and especially around the city. You know, the, the mayor of Portugal, excuse me, the mayor of Lisbon was here as soon as the draw was made. He, he made a visit to, to Madrid and came and met the the authorities here in Madrid, he met the mayor of Madrid and the regional governor, and he was inviting everybody to to go across to to Portugal for for the game or to go to Lisbon for the game, and it's only five, six hours on the motorway, it's a very short flight, there's overnight trains as well that can go, so everybody has been talking about whether they're going to go or not, everybody knows, at least, if you're not going yourself, you at least know somebody who is going, so there's been a a great buzz, and even on, on the TV as well, you can see that. They're covering it, and they're covering even at the filling stations along the way. They have, they have reporters there just to, to talk to the people who are going along and on the radio and Nietzsche and everybody. So, you know, it, it is a feeling that the whole of Madrid, even though everybody's not going, there's a kind of feeling that the whole of Madrid is either going to Lisbon or, or is going to be, be looking out to see what happens there over the next couple of days.
3: That's another thing, the fact that both teams are from Madrid. I think a lot of fans, especially here stateside, expected Barcelona to be that second Spanish team. Uh, the fact that Atletico Madrid has been on sort of the Cinderella run. Would you call it Would you call it sort of a Cinderella run? But some are saying no, considering that Atletico Madrid won the league and is pretty much just as good as the best clubs in Europe.
4: Yeah, I, I think those people, it would have been nice to, to ask those people, you know, 18 months ago, whether they thought it was possible for Atletico Madrid to reach a, a Champions League final with the players that they have. I, I would say Cinderella, everything that, that's happened to the clubs since Simeone took over, is, is pretty unbelievable. What he's done there, you know, when we took over, It's still, you know, it's under three years ago, he, he took over the club were down in mid-table. They just got knocked out of the Copa del Rey to a third-division team. They had some decent players, but they, they weren't very well organised. You know, there was rumours of, of the players not being as committed as they should be to, to the team, and there was just a feeling that Atletico were, were in one of their their perennial down stages, or just down in the dumps. He came in revolutionized the team completely. And to have got that same, pretty much the same bunch of players, minus Falcao, who was their big star then, they had to sell him. It's almost the same bunch of players. He now has them in a Champions League final. You know, they have won La Liga, and to win La Liga was amazing. You know, they were 100-1 to 1 to to win that title. They, they did that, and as in Champions League final. It, it's probably, you know, it's one of the, the great stories, really, in, in Champions League or European Cup history. All
3: right, he's Dermot Corrigan of ESPN FC, foxsoccer.com. Uh, uh, Going into this game, it was announced uh, this past week that Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo were going to be fit to play. How much of an impact do those two players make for Real Madrid?
4: They're vital for for Madrid for lots of reasons. For for the way that Madrid play the game, to have Ronaldo and Bale up front, the the two of them there to to stretch Atletico is is really key. It's also vital from the club's point of view because they're their two big galacticos. They're they're the two biggest signings. Cristiano Ronaldo is the reigning Ballon d'Or holder, he's he's supposed to be the the best player in the world and he's probably the most famous player in the world then you have Bale who's the big summer signing from last year that they spent uh, about 100 million euros or or, I'm not sure what that is in dollars but you know over 100 million dollars to bring this guy in so to have those two players on the pitch is vital neither of them are 100% fit I, I think it's fair to say Ronaldo especially he hasn't played now in kicked the ball in, in almost three weeks or two and a half weeks. He's only really completed two games over the last couple of months. So there's huge question marks over his fitness. bail. you know, he, he's been kind of worried by injuries the whole season through. And he seems to be OK. He's been able to, to play while managing the, the, the issues that he has. But to have them both on the pitch is vital from Madrid's point of view. And Madrid fans will be very hopeful that, that the two guys are going to be able to complete the 90 minutes.
3: Is it good for uh, the game of, of football if Atletico Madrid beats Real Madrid?
4: Yeah, um, it, it probably is. Uh, it, it's hard to know what, what's better for the game of football because Atletico they have their own problems. What Simeone has done in getting this this super players together to, to reach this stage is incredible. But also the club is a basket case behind the scenes. You know they, they owe over five hundred million dollars. They have huge tax debts. They're not a well run club, uh, and Simeone's been able to to maybe hide that. You know the, the directors. And the president and the chief executive club were able to bask in the glory at the moment, but, but I, I'm not sure exactly how much responsibility they have for how things have gone well. You know, equally the club could be in, in, in a lot of trouble and probably still will be in a lot of trouble. You know, they might have to sell players after the the game is, is over. You know, next season it could be a very different Atletico Madrid team. So it's a great story, and, and for us, you know, for, for journalists or for fans or for for anybody watching the game, it is a kind of fairy tale story. As you said, it's nice to see these these smaller clubs and these lesser-sung players getting to, to get to the final. And maybe you might look on Madrid as the, the bad guy in, in the tie then because they're the, the richest club in the world. You with, with, can spend money to, to buy the best players in the world. But uh, on the other side, Atletico are, are not really a model-run club. So you, you wouldn't want to see other clubs thinking, oh, we can just follow their model and, and not pay our, pay our debts and hopefully to, to struggle along to get the way. So there's, there's two sides to it there, I think.
3: And for Atletico Madrid, getting a new coach definitely helps. And how psychologically, what does that mean for the, uh, the players on the club and sort of refixing the club's image? Because we saw with Manchester United, as soon as Sir Alex Ferguson left, uh, David Moyles pretty much uh, sent them down the toilet. But how much does, for Atletico Madrid, does a new coach bring in sort of a, a new renaissance to Atletico Madrid?
4: Simiani has done a great job, and it- Pretty. I I liken it to what Alex Ferguson did. It's not the same amount of time, obviously, but to to try and follow Simeone at Atletico will be very very difficult for any coach. I, I think he's going to stay next season. I don't think there's really any chance of of Simeone leaving yet. But in the next couple of years, I would imagine he'll go to move on and move somewhere else, maybe to Italy. You could see him at, at Inter Milan, maybe coaching there. For somebody else to come in, you know, that's the stuff I was talking about there a few moments ago with the death and the fact that they, they don't have the resources to hang on to their players to pay the big wages of other teams. It's going to be very difficult for whoever comes in to replace Simeone. And I think that, you know, if you are an Atletico fan or if you like Atletico, now is the time to enjoy it. You know, they've won La Liga, they've a 50-50 chance to win the Champions League now on Saturday. And these are really the best times to be an Atletico fan. And they might not see such times again for a long time to come.
3: And for uh, the other Spanish clubs, Barcelona facing the uh, the, uh, the imposed ban, how much will that affect them in the long run?
4: Well, the, the whole ban thing is up in the air at the moment because there's an appeal into in to FIFA over the ban, and they've put it off until that appeal is heard. So it could be a case that Barcelona, if they think they're going to get, uh, if they think the ban will come down in the future, then they they have to use this upcoming transfer window to do maybe two or three years' business, which means that. If they have players who are coming towards the end of their careers, maybe Xavi Hernandez, for example, and they want to try and get a replacement for him, now is the time to do it because if Xavi leaves in 12 months' time, then the not bring in somebody immediately to replace him. So the ban is being held off, but it's still there in the thinking of the club. And I think it means that we could see a lot
3: of, of big-name players both coming and going at the camp now during the summer. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. Who do you have uh, winning on a Saturday? If not, what are the keys to both sides?
4: Uh, I, I think the key to both sides is which players are going to be fit to start the game and whether they're going to be able to last because there's fitness issues over Diego Costa as well. You know he's gone for this miracle cure during the week to, to a, a doctor in Serbia, which I'm very sceptical about. So we have to see whether he can play, and he's Atletico's main goal scorer. They also have Arda Turan, who's their best creative player. He, he's a doubt as well, so we'll see over them. Then you, for Madrid as well as Bale and Cristiano, Karim Benzema is a big doubt coming into the game. So a lot depends. Excuse me. <coughs> Me. A lot depends on, on which players are able to take the pitch. I still think whatever happens is going to be really, really tight. wouldn't surprise me at all if the game goes to extra time. Then it might count to who are the best players on, on the pitch at that stage. The uh, best thing I can do for prediction is to say that if Ronaldo plays, and if he's fit and, and he can contribute to the game, I, I have a feeling he might get the winner, maybe 2-1 in extra time.
3: All right, he's Dermot Corrigan of ESPN covering the Champions League final in Lisbon this Saturday on Fox. Thanks once again for joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Cheers,
1: man. Basically, um, the UEFA Champions League final uh, with Gus Johnson on the call will be this Saturday at 2.45 Eastern Time on Fox and Fox HD. So, Gus will be live in Portugal. Uh, Very exciting for the majority of the world because... Uh, apparently it gets huge numbers, and this is also this is the second year in a row where two countries, or two clubs from the same country, made this final. So enough with that. You can catch it on Fox tomorrow. I'm pretty sure most people will. But speaking of soccer,
2: Johnson and the great Eric Winolda on the call.
1: That's right. Yep, they will be live from Lisbon. Uh, Atletico Madrid is sort of a Cinderella story, as uh, Jim Corrigan mentioned. They were. our thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, but they're on a Cinderella run looking to upset the economic juggernauts and powerhouse of Real Madrid, which the last time they won was 12 years ago when Zinedine Zidane and David Beckham were on the same team. But that being said, we go back stateside for some more soccer news where the U.S. men's national team announced their 23-man roster, and to the surprise of many, myself included, uh, American, all, America's all-time leading goal scorer, and second on most appearances, I guess the current active cap leader Landon Donovan was left off the squad. But here's what Jurgen Klinsmann told the media this morning in a press conference. We
5: anticipate that decision a little bit because uh, we coaches had the feeling over the last few days that we have a pretty clear picture uh, on everyone involved in that process, and uh, we sense kind of kind of that the, this is the right time now um, to also to have those conversations with the seven players that are going to be on standby from now on. Um, so they're still in the picture, uh, they're not out by any means. If somebody gets down, injured, God forbid, but then boom, they're coming back in. Um, but it was uh, I think the right time um, to, you have to bring them the message that we're now kind of zooming in and, and uh, start working on, on more details uh, towards Ghana. Um, so obviously you congratulate everyone being on that 23-man list and you feel um, sorry and you feel uh, with the guys that are left out in that mom- moment and uh, and you hope for their understanding you hope for um, for them that they take it the right way um, that they still maintain available for any moment uh, over the next couple of weeks um, so it's kind of for a coach it's more like a, a mixture of feelings that you go you know one side you're very happy with, for everyone now being on a 23-man list, and on the other side, you feel really bad for the guys that haven't made that that cut in that moment. But it's part of our our work, and um, and they understand that as well. Landon is always in a, in inner circle, and uh, was always is always part of the plans. You know, so uh, observing all the players going into that bigger pool over almost three years, you know, brings so many little points. Uh, into the discussions and we had many 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 discussions uh, with the coaches and uh, and it's a uh, it's a very very tight decision then on all of those seven because you know I mean that's why we brought 30 because it is so tight in all the slots uh, all over the fields you know and then you just kind of uh, break it down in the way you break it down as coaches you know strength weaknesses a bigger puzzle entire team and many many different points and it's not and that's what I told every player it's not, you know, now the comparison between what you bring to the table and the other one brings to the table. You as a coach, you have to make a decision based on what you want to execute um, in Brazil, what you want to see, how do you want to build those components into the entire group. Um, and then I felt, uh, uh, we coaches felt like, you know, there is uh, the guys that we chose, they are a little step ahead of landing in certain areas, you know. It would do it justice if I mentioned these fields uh, um, because, you know, where maybe he has a little bit of a weakness, another guy has more strength. Where the other guy has some weaknesses, Landon has his strength, you know. So it is a very tight uh, race for those mm. sports. And in this moment now, we feel like the uh, the other players, uh, without naming any of those uh, uh, guys, uh, are a tiny little bit ahead of him. And that's why uh, we...
1: So, Jürgen uh what was supposed to be a press conference to... Take questions on his 23-minute roster basically turned into media members firing shots at him for leaving Landon Donovan off the uh, the squad. flow. are you mixed emotions? Happy, sad, angry? Well, I think it's mixed emotions because
2: uh, on one end, I see what Klinsmann is doing here, and I think you know I don't think I think the media for a while they the media loves Landon Donovan. And pretty much the fact that Landon Donovan is off the roster itself is the reason why there's the outrage, because it's Landon Donovan. And I have no problem with leaving Landon Donovan off the roster if he really is not... If, all, if him being on the roster was a byproduct of his name and name alone, then I would have no problem with him leaving yeah. the roster. That said... Now, you're, you're more the expert than I am, but I, I, I think it's hard to make an argument that Landon Donovan is not one of the best players It should at least be, able, uh, be uh, good enough to make the team. He, w- whether he's a starter or not, that's a uh, the, the different conversation. But I think he's good enough at least to make the team. Now, you have to wonder, uh, was there bad blood from the, uh, what happened last year? When uh, when uh when he left the team because he uh, I forget the but when he left the team during the uh, that whole shenanigans but I think it definitely came as a surprise I see I see what Klinsman is saying but I still think that he should he should have had Donovan on the roster
1: Yeah well uh, I, I'm pretty sure that whole situation he went on a sabbatical basically took a like six month break of soccer and he yeah. left right when the U.S. was beginning its final round of qualifying for the World Cup, which uh, for from, from fans out there you, uh, that don't understand, you, you you don't do that. That's basically like, like a starting pitcher not reporting for uh, pitchers and catchers and expecting to start on opening day. It's it's something you just can't do. I think ever since that, there has been sort of animosity between Klinsman and Donovan because you think about it, he's 32 years old, which in soccer years is, is very old considering how many games and the travel and everything that runs on a, a player's body from when Donovan originally made his world cup debut back when he was 21 years old, back in 2002. It's there's so many variables and it's interesting how many, one, how many uh, inexperienced young guys are on the team, several guys under 25 years old, which yeah. hasn't been like that since 2002. And then there's, Five German-born players, which many are saying are only on the team because Klinsman is German. Uh-huh. So that is the 23-man roster. They will play Azerbaijan on May 27th in the Road to Brazil send-off series. Interesting, no, Donovan? that, the
2: big uh, United States-Azerbaijan rivalry.
1: Can't wait. Yeah, I think the first time they've ever played each other, that'll be uh, in Candlestick Park. And on ESPN2 oh, great, great at 7 o'clock, so that's our uh, soccer news. Actually, we actually have more soccer news coming up later in the second half of our show. Not about the U.S., though, but about another country. As we move to the NBA playoffs, where the Eastern Conference Finals, after Game 1, Flo looked pretty nervous, seeing that the Pacers were able to put a stranglehold on the Heat, but then LeBron came back tied the series up at 1-1. And now, even with this long break, because I believe Game 3 isn't until Saturday, yep. uh, Paul George is still uh, highly questionable. Could that is that easily uh, turning the tide for the Miami Heat?
2: Definitely. It's going to be what's interesting. And, you know, we, we, I think it was Beaumont Jones, and ironically you said that Paul George is highly uh, questionable. Well, Dan Lovatard is highly questionable. And on the highly questionable show I was watching yesterday at the gym, uh, they were talking about Paul George, and Bobani George made the point that the Patriots have a history of, at least of late, being very having very questionable concussion tests. So, Hibbert, so Steven said, if I recall correctly, in that they basically said that the guys were cleared to play, and they really should not have been. They had a uh,
1: concussion.
2: So I think what's interesting is that now I really have no idea if he's going to play or not, and that's obviously a huge part in the series. I think it was huge for Miami to get that game to win because they really got smoked by Indiana. And even though Indiana has their own has had a whale of a test getting here to this the Eastern Conference Finals, but Miami, even though Miami was still the your favorite in the suit. Miami has a significant amount of flaws themselves, and basically that the team is relying on LeBron and LeBron alone. Dwayne Wade can still yeah, play. Yeah, too much. He's just not, Dwayne Wade is just not what he is. Chris Bosch doesn't post up that much anymore. He's basically shooting threes, which is okay, but now they basically have no big guys. Ray Allen is, is uh, he's, he's been a little hit or miss of this squad. So it's really for the Heat. It's a tough series, especially against the Pacers team. And even when the Pacers have just been a mess, they are a good matchup against the Heat. So this series is going to be very interesting, uh, to say the least.
1: Yeah, on the flip side in the Western Conference Finals, San Antonio has pretty much had their way with Oklahoma City, including a 121, or excuse me, 112-77 win uh, a few nights ago, as Game Three is Sunday, 8:30 PM Eastern on TNT, San Antonio looked phenomenal the other night. The question is, though, what David Aldridge asked Tim Duncan in the post-game, post-game interview was, uh, "What did the Spurs need to do to avoid a 2012 collapse when this similar situation happened?" And then Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook came back and won four straight.
2: Well, I think that. What's interesting, is now that it was widely thought that Sergio Baca was ruled out for the series, and now he appears to be day to day, and he could very well end up. He, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the legendary Waj of uh, Yahoo, and now Fox Sports One, said that it's now uh, he thinks that it's likely that Sergio Baca will play in Game Three. Now, even if uh, even if he does play. I think that this is a different situation for the Thunder in that, with that even without Wabaka with now, if he comes back, but I don't think if he if he does come back, he will be the player that he is. I don't think he's going to be 100%, at least not right away. But the problem with the Thunder is that you watch their offense. They have two of the best offensive of players in the league. Two elite offensive of the players, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. First off, Without a Baca, they have really nothing beyond those two. And with those two on the floor, the offense just, it, it's not a fun offense to watch. They they don't take great shots. And it just seems like every, there's a reason why uh, Bill Simmons described uh, Scott Brooks as running the, uh, the clogged toilet offense. And that it always looks like everything is jumbled together. And when there really is no reason for that to happen, we have these two. Excellent offensive uh, talent. I still think San Antonio is going to run away with the series. I think Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma City's going to win on Sunday, but beyond that, I think that San
1: Antonio's got this uh,
2: got got this series pretty much under wraps.
1: Yeah, I said last Friday that I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma were to win a game at home, but San Antonio could easily win this four-one. The Miami series though, that's interesting. You still sticking by a Spurs Heat final?
2: I'm still thinking that I I. I still think in the end, as we've shown in the NBA, it is still hard to win a series when your team does not have the best player. And I still think that LeBron James, through the will of God or whatever, is going to get this Heat team to the finals. Now, this Heat team, once they get to the finals, that's another different thing about going three in a row which we've seen before, it's very tough to do, as we saw with the Bulls in that last one, where they really had to fight hard to beat the Jazz. And then you had the Lakers, who got lucky in their third straight by playing a clearly inferior, New Jersey Nets. But I think that, I still think that you have all these concerns about Indiana, and even when you watch the series, there's still a bit of a mess. So I think that Miami still has the edge. And getting that big win on, uh, what was it now, Tuesday, was huge for them.
1: Yeah, because it's it's easy to beat the Heat once or twice. The fact that Indiana has to go four times to beat a a Miami team with, with one of the best players on the planet is easier said than done. I said last Friday I wouldn't be surprised if Miami were to win this in six games. Maybe pushing a seventh game, depending on how well Paul George does. But it could very well seem like a Spurs-Miami final. That'll do it for the mm. first half of our show. When we come back on the flip side, we will um, talk some NFL news, some, uh, yeah. some interesting occurrences with, uh, with Mark Cuban and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Stay with us. You are listening to Fanatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com. It's Fanatic Radio.
3: Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated the
1: reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on
0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Fanatic Radio is America's premier sports music program. It's an essential part of our society, like hot dogs and Cadillacs.
6: Mike Gardner and Ben Flores providing unique insight from the wide world of sports.
1: He should just retire so he could dip him in bronze and ship him to the Hall of
2: Fame. Playing only the
1: hottest music.
2: The only thing we ever play on the show is most talented R&D. And
1: always striving for perfection. We're climbing the ladder to success, yes. escalator style.
2: Yes!
6: <laughs> See for yourself. Check out Fanatic Radio only on Blog Talk Radio.
1: Just a reminder, listeners, uh, 22 Jump Street, uh, starring Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum and Ice Cube is coming out in theaters June 13th.
5: In 22 days. What's up, dog? We're back. It's more shocking, ah! more explosive, and more satisfying.
0: <laughs> oh, How
6: are you doing? You were thrusting so hard, I thought your hip popped out. Damn!
4: 22 Jump straight.
1: May 29th in DC and runs to June 7th. This is everyone's last chance to see the stars before they head off to Brazil. Make sure to buy your tickets now today at www.roadtobrazil.us. It's Fanatic Radio. Get ready to break the pain. Ha-ha. the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on.
0: Lock Talk Radio.
1: the program. Reminding you to check out the podcast on iTunes later on bfo 360.com Go to facebook.com dot slash fanatic radio. Also check out our Fanatic Radio YouTube channel, youtube.com dot slash the fanatic radio to listen to past interviews of our we weekly conversation. We do. Uh, s- slowly interviews from past shows will be added as Jermo Corrigan of ESPNFCfoxsoccer.com dot covering the Champions League this Saturday. At 3pm on Fox Live from Lisbon, Portugal So he'll be his, uh, his interview will be up Just a matter of days And a uh, quick Couple of shout outs Before we get to the, uh, the second half of our show uh, A little happy anniversary On this day I don't even know how many years ago On this day I guess 32 years ago The uh, movie Rocky 3 Was in theaters
0: uh-huh. Basically,
1: basically, uh, Rocky fought James Clover Lang, played by Mr. T. Also, uh, shout out to the D.C. folk. As of May 27th, the Silver Line will begin its 90-day test and training run. With, I, guess in a few, I guess in a few weeks, uh, it will officially be open to as far as Well and Reese and Spring Hill. So I'll go to McLean and Tyson's corner. So Flo, how about that? The Silver Line opens soon.
2: I mean, uh absolutely. I mean I've been excited for the Silver Line ever since they announced that damn thing. And we all know how uh infrastructure projects generally go in this country. They fester around for some years. Oh, right? They get they get finished like halfway and all that. I mean, hey, if uh we had infrastructure projects go the uh, the way that that were planned. Traffic on the Beltway would not be that bad. But I mean, you know, so be it. But I'm excited. I know you're excited. And well, actually, I don't know if you're excited. You're not here, but I'm excited. Pretty. You give me a reason to go back.
1: Why well, not? Yeah, uh, hey, we...
2: yeah, you know, you could so that you could fly into Dulles and then you can get on the metro. Yeah, not
1: until, until 2016, though. You mentioned um, how infrastructure takes so long. 2016 is when it'll officially be open in Dallas. I love how it's a two-year gap covering probably about ten miles of train you know, line. I
2: don't know if it's ten miles. Well, they're building Rome, you know. They're building, you know. You, you can't do this crap overnight. Rome was not built yeah. in a day. Damn it.
1: Exactly. So another thing for, I uh, want to wish everyone happy Memorial Day. Uh, hopefully for the, uh, the majority of America can enjoy their three-day weekend. I'm especially enjoying this weekend because uh, for the, uh, the non-faithful listeners, Flo and I, huge racing fans, as this yeah. week, I guess this, sun, this Sunday, as what I like to call the greatest weekend in racing, in which we have the, uh, the glitz and glamour of the Monaco Grand Prix Sunday morning then we have the uh, the greatest spectacle in racing the Indianapolis 500 which I will actually be uh live at looking forward to it and then later that night the uh the Where traditional Coke 600
2: no i'm not kidding.
1: uh and a chance, chance hopefully to uh, to watch Kurt Busch make uh complete all 100 uh, 1100 laps or 1100 miles uh, that's uh, the first driver since Robbie Gordon in 2004 to do the double. Are you looking forward to Kurt Busch uh, doing the unthinkable? Absolutely.
2: Uh, I've, we've been waiting a few years now, several years, actually, for someone to do the double. That, that we, you know There was a time when they moved the Indianapolis 500 start time uh, to, what, it was like 2 o'clock for a while, and then they moved it back to noon, and the noon local start which now allowed, gave this opportunity, so everybody's waiting. Who's going to be the first to do it? And a lot of people thought it would be somebody like Robbie Gordon, uh, who had Opal uh, experience, or maybe a Danica Patrick, who, you know, was famous for IndyCar experience. But I don't know how many people would have thought that Kurt Busch ultimately would have been the guy. But, hey, I, think it, I am so excited for that. Uh, nobody yeah. has ever won both. Tony Stewart, which actually in NASCAR Thunder 03, you can redo the challenge of him that for future. He, like, finished, like, like, the top ten in both or something. Or
1: he won the poll. Yeah, the he finished, I think it was six I think it was ninth and third were his two finishes in 2001, or maybe 99 because so, those were the only two years he completed it. So, I
2: don't know. I, it would be, I mean, it, this is an accomplishment in and of itself. But if he were to win both, that would be insane. I don't think anybody's expecting him to win. But he has shown pretty racy, and he's running for a very good team that knows her way a little bit around that race course. So I think it's going to be very, very exciting to watch. And this Indy 500, it's going to be, uh, and especially because we have a new NASCAR connection, because our, the great Alan Bestwick will be calling us first Indianapolis 500. So how about that?
1: That's right, the, the, uh, the new voice of racing, other than Mike Joy. We love Alan Bessler. I'm interested to see how he does in uh, that group.
2: Marty Reed, He passed away. I know,
1: right? <laughs> I know who you are. Um, I love to see Kurt Bush do well uh, in the 500 because um, he actually wrecked in uh, practice, which is yeah. kind of a good thing uh, because, one, he was racing Marco Andretti's backup car, which is probably tuned better than the actual car he was driving. And also, he even commented um, when he appeared on the, uh, the Sports Illustrated Now live show on, on on the web. He was saying that it's good that I see the how far I can push the limit because that's it's it's very it's it's such a delicate line when you're racing an Indy car, yep, going in in those turns when there's literally just one lane you can go and inches you know away from just
0: marbles?
1: yeah and then it completely just smashes car into the wall, which is exactly what he did. But uh, good that he sort of knows his limits and limitations. So, uh, wishing the best of luck, uh, good, love to, love to see it, of course, uh, we'd also love to see an American in victory lane, uh, yeah, Ed Carpenter's on that. the pole for the second year in a row. So, we'll be waiting with bated breath as the 500 starts, uh, noon Eastern on ABC, and then you can swing on over to Fox later that night to watch the Not, Coke no 600. the
2: Monaco Grand Prix is on NBC in, in, uh, what, 7.30 in the morning? You got you gotta, you gotta yeah. hold area. You usually would go straight through. Don't even have to leave the couch. Uh who who doesn't who's not gonna love? It.
1: Exactly. Now, time for Good Cop, Bad Cop, as we, the uh, fine uh, servicemen of FRPD, will break down the forensics of the world of sports, covering several cases that have recently popped up uh, with featuring Officer Florence and Officer Gardner, as we will start with our first one. Case number one is Roger Goodell who recently announced that not only could there be a possibility that the draft could leave New York City as early as 2015, but a possibility to add two more teams to the playoffs to 2015. Flip, do you want to take the, the good cop or bad cop on this?
2: Uh, I, well, it's, it's interesting. I, I want to take the good cop on moving the draft around. I've been to the draft in New York one year. It was a really hard thing to get tickets to. Before, because you only get them, like, the day of, and you have to wait in line, we didn't do that. My dad knew some people I knew some people, which is always, always a great way to go about life. But I, and I, but I think moving the draft around makes it an even bigger event. I know Chicago is pushing on for it, putting in McCormick Park. I know Jerry Jones wants to do it, and get, like, 80,000 people going nuts. And um, so, I, you know, even as a New York area guy, even though I'm ready to come to Jersey, I have no problem with them moving it around, making it an even bigger event. You see this in the NHL. I don't think that New York should have a lot at all of these big events like this. I think they should move it around and cycle it through and bid on it like the Super Bowl. That said, in terms of the expanding the playoffs, I think it's a horrible idea. The, 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 what we have right now was perfect in the NFL. divisional champions, two wild cards. That's all you need. This is total greed by the NFL. They want to get some more money out of the TV partners, which is fine. But it's like you know, as, as Mike Francesa famously said, you don't you don't want to kill the golden goose. And that's where you have to see what the NFL could be doing with expanding the playoffs. And who knows? Maybe they'll finally get that extra team, that other uh, um, a team in London, and all that trash.
1: So. Yeah, I was going to take the back up on this, especially for the playoffs, because uh, Giants owner John Mara said uh, that we've said his team, that famously beat the undefeated Patriots, was nine and seven when they won the Super Bowl, and he was basically saying some could you could even say a seven and nine or a 500 team could win it, which is is completely barbaric. It's 100% monetary gain because cool. uh, the the players at the mothership basically want to get involved in several playoff games because I don't think they host. Playoff games, well, and of they course, will be getting it's sad one, because the NFL uh, will take point.
2: it. They They will
1: be getting one.
2: I think. I don't think this year, but at some point, either this year or next year,
1: even the year further, they will be getting it out. So. Yeah, it's 100% money. Same with the draft. The only reason why I think that it is in New York is because the league's offices are in New York. But that being said, I don't want to see more teams in the playoffs because it totally ruins it. Last year was an exception to the fact that the best two teams were in it. But in years past, you always have a team from the wild card that gets that second uh, chance of life to make a Super Bowl run. When really they weren't the best team, but they just turn it around when they're hot in the playoffs. All right, exhibit number two, a girl named Lucy Lee becomes the youngest U.S. Women's Open qualifier for the golf tournament in June. Mind you, she is 11 years old. I'll take the good cop on this because many have the – there's been a huge ethical debate whether a minor should be competing in professional sports, especially one as young as 11 years old. That's way (laughs) out of the line because they set up all these amateur tournaments. So eventually, as you grow up and work your way down the line, it becomes. It. I think this is great because it gains so much attention to the LPGA because ever since Michelle we stunk and um, Oh Cho, I don't know her first name, but she uh, was uh, became pregnant, it had a child, and was forced to retire. And ever since Anka Swanson got married and had yep. a child as well, it's it's a good it's a good stunt to uh, have her in the tournament because it gains so much interest.
2: So wait. So did you take the good cop or the bad cop on that? One? I I'm did. Concerned. I said
1: this is good because LPGA is starving for media attention. This is the one way. This is a great way to get it.
2: You know, even though I agree with you, for the sake of entertainment, I'm going to take the bad. And even though I, 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 I have no problem with this uh, this young girl being in the tournament, but I'm going to take the bad cop on this. The thing is, now you're an 11 year old kid. When I was 11 years old, I I don't even think I knew how to read. Probably didn't know how to tie my shoes. <laughs> Uh, and so you had Velcro I, back then. I, exactly. Uh, well, I did have the Velcro. I think I got rid- actually got rid of it by 11 years old. But for the sake of argument, this girl is 11 years old and she's going to be put on well, it's not like, you know, the men's US Open. But it's still on a big stage and now the, it will be uh, this girl will be the focus or one of the uh, focuses of the tournament. And when you're so young and you know, how can somebody that young be prepared for, you know, if something doesn't go, you know, has a few poor shots and bogey, you know, and then all eyes are on you. This is not like an amateur term. So even though I, in theory, I like it, for the sake of argument, I don't.
1: All right. Exhibit number three, Dallas' own Mark Cuban, who had these interesting words to say to Inc. magazine. With
7: that progress comes a price. Where. We're a lot more vigilant in what we, and we're a lot less tolerant of different views. And it's not necessarily easy for everybody to adopt or adapt or evolve. I mean, we're all prejudiced in one way or the other. If, If I see a black kid in a hoodie and it's late at night, I'm walking to the other side of the street, and if on that side of the street there's a guy that has tattoos all over his face, white guy, bald head, tattoos everywhere, I'm walking back to the other side of the street. And the list goes on of of stereotypes that we all live up to and and are fearful of. And so in my businesses, try not to be hypocritical. You know, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I live in a glass house and it's not appropriate for me to throw stones. And so when I run into bigotry in organizations I control, I try to, to find solutions.
1: Cuban uh, eventually apologized to the family of Trayvon Martin because many were saying when he made the, uh, the, the black kid in the hooded sweatshirt, it was a, a direct shot at him. And, it, of course, Flo, which side are you taking on this in light of the whole Donald Sterling mess sort of clearing up in the public domain? Did he take the good cop or the bad cop?
0: You know,
2: I'm going to be the good cop on this. You know, I give Mark Cuban a lot of credit. It's so hard these days to have a real frank discussion about issues of race. And it's easy for the two of us to say because we're both white. But I give him a lot of credit for being frank, being uh, showing a lot of honesty, and it's 100% true. We do have our prejudices in society, and a lot of that is the way – that people are raised, you know, if you're, a lot of times, if you're raised in a community where you're, you're not exposed to different, you know, forms of diversity, whether you live in an all-white neighborhood or an all-black neighborhood, you're not used to interacting with the other ones, so then you have, you're a little more, you know, you're a little more on edge. The one thing I have a problem with, and it's not even a problem, it's just the choice of words that you use, and I, because and I, when he says black kid in a hoodie, Everybody was immediately thinking Trayvon Martin. I don't think he was, like, you know, trying to be like, oh, Trayvon Martin, you know, bad kid. But I think that just that, uh, and also as our good friend, well, I don't know if he's a good friend. I like him. Bomani Jones said it highly questionable yesterday. How is a kid in a hoodie, if people wear hoodies, I wear hoodies when it's cold, it's springing, all that. How is it the same as some guy that, you know, has tattoos all over his face that's probably, in, you know, could be nuts? I, I don't think he meant to be – I don't think Mark Cuban's a racist. I don't think – and I think he was being honest. I just The only problem I have there is that he – of the words that he didn't use to describe – but even again, in today's day, we can't have a really a good discussion on a race anymore. So – or maybe we never have been able to do it. But I give Mark Cuban a lot of credit for being honest being frank about it.
1: So – yeah, the, the, the backup for it, I mean, I still, I'll stick by Mark Cuban uh, because he's always, I mean, it's true, is where the backup about it is definitely 100% the timing because we're just coming off this, this whole Donald Sterling thing, which apparently news stories have leaked saying uh, there's text messages being released and that his uh, Miss V, the mistress woman, um, probably uh, set him up after uh, several exchange text messages made her very angry. And, of course, yeah, the, the uh, "Quote unquote" passing of the franchise to Mrs. Sterling, in which I love how they're trying to go around it without getting the NBA's owners to vote on it. It's just the timing, because if Cuban would have said this sometime during the summer, I don't think it would have been as he would have gotten as much flack for it. But uh, I don't think he would have was, uh, any the, of the saying goes, "Yeah, the, exactly." The saying goes, "You know, there's time and place for everything." I think his timing was just off. And of course, after the whole Donald Sterling thing now everyone's going to pull the race card. Just a lot of bad timing. But I agree with you. For, I stick by Cuban, the fact that one of you apologized, had no intentions. And, um, you know, i he, glad uh, a guy of his caliber said it, because usually when players or certain personnel come out with things like that, uh, they're immediately fined or chastised. But, of course, Mark Cuban has so much clout and respect, it's sort of, uh, it'll sort of be in the water for a few days and then go away. And then our final... Uh, uh, exhibit is Jurgen Klinsmann, who we talked about earlier, refu- uh, did not take Landon Donovan, but opted to take several players of a very young age and very limited experience. Okay,
5: it's a normal process within every team, every sports team, that um, the youngsters try to find their way into the group. You know, try to figure out how this all works, and obviously, kind of stand a bit in the back of the line and and uh, and ask questions to the more experienced players. I think they are all uh those couple of youngsters that we have, they're all very curious uh guys. You know, they wanna learn, they are ready every day, you know, to work hard and, and to make the next step. Um so it's a normal process to bring them through. Like, you know, in every cycle, every World Cup you have a couple of them growing tremendously during that World Cup uh period. I think uh, um compared to maybe ten days ago and then we maybe have that discussion in three, four weeks then in Brazil and Sao Paulo um you will see a very interesting process going on with these with these young players and uh they're up to the task. Now, obviously emotionally it's it's a lot to handle. Um but we gotta run them through that uh process. They're ready for it. Clinton was very uneasy
1: when uh when the media asked him about the uh the lack of inexperience. Flo, would you take a good cop or bad cop on this?
2: You know, I'm going to give uh, Klinsman a little bit of credit here. Like I said, I I, I would have put Dinah Dom on the team, but I'm also not the coach. And and Klinsman had, did this before with Germany in the early 2000s, and he had a lot of success with it and helped build the team forward. Oh, I, I disagree with the, the point that pe- that's, I've heard people make, her, well, because we have this tough draw, and he's basically building for the future. I don't buy that. Because if you have a tough draw, you'd want to throw the best guys out there to have a chance to go forward. You want to, you know, set forth a negative attitude and uh, you know basically give up, even if we have what has been described as good. But I think it's a good idea. You want to get some speed, and you know if you have inexperienced guys out there, then they don't. You know, it's 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 a risk and reward. Sometimes they can't handle the pressure, but sometimes they're so precocious that the pressure doesn't bother them. So I I give Clinton the uh, the uh, benefit of the doubt here, and I think he made a a fair choice, even with the Donovan which I don't agree with, but we'll
1: let that be from a, from a uh, from a soccer enthusiast perspective, I support him 100%. I've been behind this guy since day one, and the fact that every decision he's made has been met with with, uh, like, debate and uncertainty, but it's always full circle back. But for this segment, I will take the side of the bad cop as the, uh, the uneducated uh, soccer American fan, saying yeah. he's a yeah. moron because, because he is leaving out an all-star in favor of a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, that is, and both of them combined have played less than 30 minutes of international experience. So so you mean to tell me that he's bringing all these unexperienced guys and a pretty weak defense in midfield when they go up against a German team who is second best in the world and a Portugal team with, one of the, with the best player in the world in Cristiano Ronaldo? It's going to make the United States look like complete idiots as guys stuck in quicksand when, when the youth of Portugal and, yeah, freaking idiots. And so what, what is uh, – and, of course, Ghana, a very physical team, the very first game. I don't like it how uh, – it's, it's interesting how Klinsman is doing this because he's trying to implement a culture into the United States saying, oh, our youth program is strong as, as well. But for what, his first World Cup, I don't like it how he's just throwing these kids – and they are, and some of them are kids. I mean, a few of them are younger than we are. How he's literally just throwing them into the hornet's nest. Not a very smart decision for your first World Cup. But I'll do it for – uh, good cop, bad up as we, uh, case is closed here at FRPD, as we swing now to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Flo, have you been following this despite your uh, New Jersey Devils being out?
2: I have, absolutely. You know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, that's what makes it, because hockey is great. It's because not only is it the fast sport, it also is a sport that things change, uh, because it's so fast, things change, you know, on a, uh, uh um, uh, I don't know what I was trying to say. The things change. Ain't nobody on a dime. got time for that. And, uh, <laughs> uh, the things change on a dime, and a team can be dominated. The puck at all the shots have a goalie stand up as the side, The team comes down the other way, scores and wins. In a way, it's kind of like that in soccer, but the soccer obviously does not move as fast
1: as the NHL does. But alas. More interesting series, Western Conference or Eastern Conference, because you have the Blackhawks, the defending champs, have had some rough roads, but some great heroics from their star players. And then you have the Rangers and Canadians, who have come out of nowhere. Montreal upset the number one seed, uh, Boston Bruins. And then the Rangers beat the, uh, the highly favored... Crosby-led Penguins in Game Seven. So now both these teams are duking out. Which series uh, has your most attention?
2: I think you know what's interesting—the Eastern Conference series. It's been pay for Game Three when, uh, which the Canadians won in thrilling fashion overtime last night. Even though the Canadians, after they lost Carey Price and were dominating Game One, uh, were well, considered the underdogs. We had the uh, the hit of uh, uh, crust on. Um, forget who it was. We so had the big hit, like pretty much a cheap hit that was not called uh, a penalty. And then you had the Car- uh, Dan Carcillo, who's really not much of a player. But Carcillo, and you have the thing with him uh, getting taken up the the Lionsman. Now he's suspended for 10 games. And the fact that you have a, two original six clubs, and you have a Rangers team that's won one cup in like 70 years. And you have another team in the, the Abitur that are really the kings of the NHL, but they haven't want a cup in my lifetime. So, and, and that's not to say that the Western Conference which has been great between Chicago and uh, Los Angeles, but maybe it's just a little bit of East Coast bias on my part. But, you know, good, good hockey all around.
1: Blackhawks have been a very fun team to watch. I mean, it's the few games I've seen. I actually saw the Game 6 win when uh, Patrick Kane was able to uh, win in overtime. I'm surprised how consistent the Blackhawks have been for about three years. It, it almost mm. reminds me, from, from a basketball standpoint, of the San Antonio Spurs. Now they've made very little changes. They're old, guess not old school, because a lot of these guys are pretty young, but uh, the consistent leadership has, has been phenomenal in the <laughs> fact that Uh, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, guys that have been in situations like this before are able to get the job done, much like we've seen from uh, the San Antonio Spurs with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, who these guys are in their 30s and are still uh, going at day after day in the playoffs, just playing their minds out. I could easily see a Hawks-Rangers final, which would be great considering you have two major cities and then the entire New York Metroplex just get so involved and thinking this is the uh, the days of uh, of Mark Messier. Your boy
0: Messier.
1: <laughs> Brian Leach. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: exactly. Uh so now as we go to the final uh parts of the show interesting story I want to send you away for did you know that the uh the Mexican national team, their head coach is refusing to have their players no, refusing to let their players eat beef, have sex, and drink alcohol. If you were a head coach, would you imply those same
0: rules?
2: I don't know how you enforce that. I mean, these are grown men you're talking about. You're this is not like, you know, a high school coach or something like that. But I don't know how he can, like, does he have, like, monitors on these guys? Like, does he have, Will he have spies in that they'll be able to see everything that they're doing? I don't know how you enforce something like this. I mean, I, mean, I get what he's going for. But it's just, how do you enforce that? I mean, it's just that
0: race.
2: I
1: mean, unless you pull some Coach Carter stuff. But even yeah. then, you know. Block on the hotel. Um, we love will right, so do it. For, yeah, I'll do it. That oh, Samuel Jackson. That'll do it for this episode of Fanatic Radio. Uh, wishing everyone a happy Memorial Day from notorious Ben Florence on Mike Garner. Check out the podcast on iTunes. Go to dot 360com Check out our YouTube page for all of us. Uh, this has been Snack Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you